Well, last week, Harvest was 10 years, just 10 years since the very first conversation happened about Harvest in D. West. Larry and Denise Woods and Kirsten, they drove up from Pittsburgh. They went up to Chicago. They met with a man named Ken Shaw. You might remember Kent, he preached here back in, on Labor Day, and they went up and they met with Pastor, Pastor Kent. Kent was the executive director of Harvest Bible Fellowship and Church Planting, so he's overseeing all the church planting efforts. Ten years ago, if that conversation didn't happen, there's a good chance that we would not be here together this morning. And I believe that God has a purpose for us I believe that God has brought us here. It's no accident. It's not by chance. It's not by luck that that God has brought us together for such a time as this. And there's a a thousand things that could have gone wrong, a thousand things that, that could have happened or not happened, and this church plant may have never got off the ground. See, Larry, he Larry wasn't a pastor, but he's wanting to plant a church. He was trusting and depending on the Lord to to bring somebody, and aren't you thankful for Pastor Doug? The conversation between Pastor Doug and Pastor Nick, the very first conversation at Starbucks, ask him about that sometime, it was this close to never happening. We were supposed to launch over at Chapel Hill, over by Ben Davis, and just a few weeks before the church launched, we got a notice saying Chapel Hill's not accepting any more churches to be meeting in their facilities. See, there's a thousand things that could have happened that could have gone wrong, but God is building his church. God is the one who's designed this. God is the one who is planning this. God is the one who is behind this, and that's why we're here today. And I believe that the Lord has brought you here today as well. Well, 10 years ago, Larry met with Kent Shaw. And about a year later, I met with his brother, Dale Shaw. But that meeting went completely, completely different. My wife and I, we were living up in Chicago at the time, finishing up last semester of seminary. We're going to harvest at Rolling Meadows up in Chicago, and on the weekends, we're coming down here to to Indy, and I'm interviewing with the church. For about four months, we were coming down here, meeting multiple, multiple times with the pastors. This was a senior high youth position, speaking with the students, meeting with the, the leadership teams, and it just seemed like this was it. God was opening the door. The former youth pastor was the one who recommended he referred us here. Chris's family had connections in this church. It just, it just seemed like a good fit. So we're trusting in the Lord. We show up in this, this, this last meeting. At this time, the, the pastors had said yes, and so we had one final meeting with the elders, and we show up with the elders. It's supposed to be like this meet and greet. And have you ever been in a meeting when all of a sudden something happened and it turned really wrong really fast? Well, there's a vote. The pastors say yes. The elders say no. The decision is, is no. I mean, we just moved down here. Our stuff is in storage across the street from the church. We're, we're living in the, the basement of my, my in-laws. This isn't supposed to happen. Nobody told us in, in seminary that this was going to happen, right? This is the peak of the recession, July, August 2008, 
Hey, if you lived in Brownsburg in July 2008, there's a good chance you may have got a a flyer in your mailbox from me asking if I could paint your house. We're living in the basement trying to make ends meet. I don't know what weighs up. I don't know what the Lord is doing. And I so remember in this time asking God, God, what are you doing? God, why are we here? God, what's, what's going on? I mean, it just felt like the rug got pulled up, up, uh, up from underneath our feet. Sunday's rolling around, and Chris and I were looking at each other, and we're like, where do you want to go to church? I don't know. Where do you want to go to church? I don't know. We're like, let's go check out this place called Harvest. And we're like, really? It's meeting in a movie theater. Is this place legit? We just came from Harvest. We loved Harvest in Chicago. We were familiar with Harvest, and, uh, and so we, we, we showed up. I'll never forget walking past the flags, opening up the door, walking up the ramp to the movie theater. I'll never forget, second, I'll never forget the service of sitting somewhere up in the middle, somewhere up in the, the middle section, and it's like second song in. And we're looking around, and I'm realizing, man, these people... They're not just singing songs. They are worshiping Jesus. I remember after the service, and I remember Doug's preaching through the book of Ephesians, and I mean, it's just jumping off the pages. Just the word is alive. God's spirit is in this place. I remember after the service, we're, we're standing in the lobby over by the claw machine. <laughs> we're looking out in the lobby and just the people like something is different here there's like weird different and then there's good different right and there is a good different that's happening in this place it's July I remember walking out the doors just being hit with the heat I remember stepping off the curb into the parking lot into the parking lot and just thinking what just happened so we go home to the basement I email Pastor Doug, and I'm like, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know why we're here, but I came this morning, and it was awesome. God is in this place. We're going to commit to being here for a while because my, my wife signed a contract. She's got a job, and so we're here. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just painting houses. If there's anything that we can do, I'd love to help. P.S. We're living in a basement. A couple hours later, Pastor Doug emails me back. And he's like, hey, you want to meet for breakfast? So the next morning, I show up. We're meeting for breakfast. I'm sitting across the table, and I'm telling him our story of just like, I don't know why we're here. We thought we were going to be at this church. The pastor said yes. The elder said no. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what God is doing. We are so, so confused. (laughs) Doug looks across the table. He says, I know why you're here. On Thursday Karen and I were praying. We were praying that God would send a youth pastor to this church. We showed up on Sunday. How does that happen? See, God is building his church. There's a thousand things that could have happened, that could have not happened, that could have got, gone wrong, that this church plant may have never even got off the ground, but God is the one who's building his church. Amen? Yeah. Grab your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 18. 
Just as our church has a story, so you have a story, we have a story, and I believe that God has brought you here for a purpose, that he has a reason for you in this place. Acts chapter 18. We're gonna spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter one, uh, but just as the story of us, as, as we have a beginning, we have a story, so does the church of Corinth. And Acts 18 tells us the story of, of the church of Corinth and how this church almost never happened. It almost never got off the ground. Acts 18 verse one says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. See, if we look back at chapter 17, ministry did not happen in Athens. Paul, he's, he's in an outdoor amphitheater. It, it would have been a lot like this, but outside this, this kind of curved stadium seating. And, and Paul's preaching. I mean, he is pouring his heart out there. He is preaching to the Athens, and he gets right to the middle of his sermon. He is sharing the gospel, and he starts talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Acts 17. And all of a sudden, the crowd starts mocking him. They start laughing at him. So Paul's like, I'm out of here. He packs it up. He heads to the next city, the city of Corinth. I can just tell you, if I get halfway through my sermon and I'm preaching and you start heckling me, I mean, I am out that door so fast, just like Paul, that's what's gonna happen. Imagine this walk. This is a 50-mile walk from Athens to Corinth. 50 miles. I mean, this is a, a long, lonely walk for Paul as he is laughed out of Athens and now he's coming to Corinth. Corinth is a city with a reputation. You probably know the reputation. It's not a good reputation. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. This is not the place that you bring your kids. When Paul wrote Romans chapter one, He's describing the depravity of humanity, the, the wickedness of mankind, and all he's doing, he's just remembering what he saw on the streets of Corinth. This is not a good place. This is a dark place, and this city needs a church. Paul's on this 50-mile this walk. He knows what he's walking into. He just got laughed out of town, and now he's walking into the city of Corinth. Look at verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, that's the husband, a native of Pontus, recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So the very first two people that, that Paul connects up with in the city of Corinth are two refugees. That's not a political statement. They were kicked out of Rome. He connects up with these two refugees. Like if you're planting a church in a new city, that's not exactly the first two people that you're looking to partner with, right? I mean, you're looking to build a, a core team, some people of influence, some people who are established. The first two people he finds, Aquila and Priscilla. Look at verse three. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. Paul worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned, he's preaching, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. I mean, these are long days. 
He is working Monday through Friday with his hands. He is laboring. He is working. He is making tents. On the weekends, he's, he's trying to plant a church. He's preaching in the synagogue. I mean, this is a, a self-supported, bivocational pastor just trying to make ends meet, just trying to, to get this struggling church up off the ground, and he's got a refugee couple. I mean, it's beginning to look a lot like Athens. It's beginning to look like a lot like, like ministry is not going to happen. A vertical church is not going to be planted in this place. His preaching's not going well. When, it, when you're trying to reason with people and persuade people in your preaching, that's a sign your, your preaching's not going well for Paul. Verses five and six tells us that, that Paul was kicked out of the synagogue, can't preach there anymore. So verse seven, so I love this. Here's what Paul does. He's kicked out of the synagogue. So verse seven, so he goes next door. So Paul, isn't it? Kicked out of one place and now you go next door. And so here, Paul next door is now preaching. Verse eight tells us there's a family. There's one family. One family hears the gospel. They believe, they hear Paul's message. It started with one family and and then it says that, that many in Corinth began to believe, that many were baptized and finally, finally after the blood, sweat and tears of Paul pouring out for this place, finally he's got a core team. Finally the church is starting to happen. Look at verse nine. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, in my Bible, these are, these are red letters. That means Jesus shows up in this vision and Jesus is the one who tells Paul, he says, do not be afraid. Go on speaking, go on preaching. Do not be silent for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. I love that. I mean, Paul, Paul's about to leave. He, he's packing his bags. He is about to leave this city. I mean, his life has been threatened. He's questioning, is this worth it? I'm working two jobs. This is way too much. I don't know if I signed up for this. I love that Jesus says, I have many in this city who are my people. I mean, this, this is sin city. This is Corinth. And Jesus says, I have many people, my people. I mean, these people may not even know it yet. Jesus knows, I have many people here in this city. Paul, I've got a purpose for you. Verse, verse 11, so he stayed. Paul stayed a year and six months that's the second longest church that Paul stayed with, only second to Ephesus where he stayed three years. Paul stays here for 18 months because Jesus told him, stay. Stay teaching the word of God among these people. See, this is the church plant that almost didn't happen. The church plant that, that almost didn't get off the ground. But Jesus shows up and God is building his church and God is bringing people to this place. And just as God has ordained relationships, so God has ordained the church. This is his thing and he loves it. These are his people. My favorite verse in, in really all of the Bible comes from the end of Corinthians 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Here Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Paul says, therefore, my, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be strong, be steadfast, immovable. Don't move, don't quit, don't give up. Stay here, keep doing what you're doing because it matters, it's making a difference. He says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, working hard for the Lord. Your blood, your sweat, your tears. Because you know your, your labor is not in vain. It's not worthless. It's not meaningless. It's not useless. God is using you. He's working in you. He's working through you. He doesn't want you to quit. He doesn't want you to give up. Just stay where you are. Keep on serving. Keep on giving. Keep on doing what you're doing because God is building his church. This is the story of of Corinth, the church that almost never happened. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, I wanted to lay a context, kind of the backstory for, for this church so we can understand Paul's relationship to the people of Corinth. I mean, he worked hard for these people, two jobs. He, he stuck with these people a year and a half. He stuck his neck out for these people in preaching and teaching with them as his life was threatened. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He stayed with them. And this is a, a hard, a dark city that needs a vertical church, that needs the gospel proclaimed, Paul stayed. So fast forward from when Paul was staying with the Corinthians, now two or three years later, uh, Paul left there, he went to Ephesus, he went down to Jerusalem, now two or three years later, Paul hears about there's problems happening in this church There's problems happening in the church of of Corinth, and so Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians. This is the longest letter that Paul has written. He writes this letter two or three years later to follow up with the Corinthians, and here he, he tells them four things, four things that they need to be doing if they want to stay together as a vertical church. And I think these four same things, they, they so apply to us today as we're going through this series together and what it means to be called a church. These four things so apply to us, not just as a faith family, but they apply to your family at home. Here's four things that you need to be doing if you want to stay together as a family. And I love how Paul writes this because it's not just what he says, it's how he says it. Look at verse four. I give thanks. His first words, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know this is a church with problems. But how does Paul start? With thankfulness. Here's a few of the problems. There is, there's major division and dysfunction with the leadership. There is a man sleeping with his stepmom in the Corinthian church and nobody's doing anything about it. People are getting drunk at communion. Okay, you know you have a problem in the church when... 
They're tolerating sin. They're proud. They're puffed up. They're immature. They're fighting, comparing, bragging over spiritual gifts. They're, they're taking each, each other to court. They're suing each other. This church is a train wreck. But look at how Paul starts. I thank God always for you. The first thing that we need to do if we want to stay together is always be thankful. Harvest, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Ten years ago, Harvest was nothing but an idea with one family and a whole lot of questions. And today, we thank God, not us. We thank God for building this church and what he is doing. Here's ten things. Ten things that that we thank God for what he's doing in this place every single Sunday, worshiping, worshiping together. I'm so thankful to do that with you. I'm thankful for 23 acres in the heart of Avon with a facility like this and no claw machine. I'm thankful for the hundreds of volunteers every single week. Thank you. Hey, you heard from Pastor Nick. If you're not doing that, today's the day. Sign up right after the service. Help us on Easter. I'm thankful for the children who want to be here. I see it on their faces. They're excited about church. They want to come here Sunday mornings. I'm thankful for the unity of the elders and the pastors. We don't take that for granted. I'm thankful for the the hundred small group leaders with students and adults. You have the hardest job here in the church. Thank you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. Man, I'm so thankful for the generous giving. Listen, I see it every single week. For nine years, the generous giving of our people. Thank you. I'm thankful that every single week when we've opened these doors that we've had new people. If today's your first day, we are so glad you're here with us. We are thankful for visitors. And we are thankful that we are not ashamed of the gospel because that's what it is. It's God's power, his presence showing up in this place. That's what makes all of the difference. We have so much to be thankful for, Harvest. As a nine-year-old church, we, we take zero credit for what's happening here. We give thanks to God for what he's doing in this place. I want you to think about it. I want you to write something down. I want you to talk to, talk to your family after, after the service at lunch. Talk to somebody here before you leave. What is one thing? What is one thing that you're thankful for here at Harvest? We have to always be thankful. The second thing that needs to happen if we want to stay together as a vertical church, never be critical. See, critical is the opposite of thankful. Look at verse five. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. See, one of the major problems with the Corinthian church is is they're fighting over their spiritual gifts and here right from the beginning, Paul is addressing them and he's telling you, 
you're not lacking any gifts. In chapter four, verse 21, Paul says, what, what do you want? What do you prefer? What's your choice? Should I come to you with a rod? Some translations say whip. Okay, what, what's your choice? Should I come to you with a rod or a whip or in a spirit of gentleness? See here, Paul is coming to these people. He's addressing this church with problems in a spirit of love and gentleness. Rods beat people. I mean, rods bruise people. Whips lash out and sting people. And words can inflict so much pain. I mean, words can tear this place apart. Words can bruise people, hurt people, lash out and whip people. Paul has every right to be just ticked off. He could light this church up, but he's not critical. Imagine his, his tone here. He's, he's saying, in every way, hey, 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 guys, in every way, you've been enriched. You're, you're wealthy in your gifts. You're rich in your gifts in speech and knowledge. Hey, hey, don't worry. You're not lacking any gifts. See, it's not just what you say. It's how you say it. I think here Paul is modeling an example for us where, where he is not critical it's really, really hard when, when you know you're the person who's right and you know the other person is 100% wrong but they think that they're right and you're trying to address them gently in love. That's so hard, isn't it? See, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it, the, the tone, the, how critical, how harsh, the timing. And here Paul is coming along these people and they are 100% wrong and Paul, he knows he's right but he comes to them in a spirit of love and gentleness. Last spring, I was, I was helping coach my, my son, his, his four or five-year-old t-ball team, right? I mean, they're four and five. Let's, let's have fun, right? Like, don't pick all the dandelions. Save some for the next kid. Just keep your glove on. When you swing, try not to spin around and fall down. Let's, let's just have some fun. Well, I'm, I'm coaching. There's four coaches. I don't know if four and five-year-olds ever need four coaches, but there's four coaches. The first coach, the head coach, well, his, he was a football coach. I mean, full-time. That's his job. The other two ladies, they were, they were college softball players. They could probably throw farther and harder than I can. So I'm just a pastor. So I'm standing over on third base. That's my spot. So I'm the third base coach. And I realize these kids don't need another coach. They need a cheerleader. So when a kid gets to third base, listen, I don't care how you got here, how many overthrows to first base, how many grounders through the legs. You're here. You're third base. High five, fist bump, buddy. You're going home. You're going to score a point for your team. See, criticism can crush a child, can't it? We live in a hypercritical culture. And I know it's, as a parent, I love my kids. I want the best for my kids. But it is so hard not to be critical with your children. Same is true for a church. We are a nine-year-old church and criticism can crush this place. 
Words can bruise. Words, if not done in the right manner, the right timing, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it, can, can lash out and whip people. We have a very young pastoral staff here. And, and sometimes it may not seem like we know what we're doing. Hey, here's a secret. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing. And this, keep, this place just keeps growing and changing and morphing and we're trying to catch up with it and get ahead of it and we need some more cheerleaders here. A culture of criticism can crush this place. I can tell you as, as a staff, we are, we are very, very, very aware of all of our shortcomings. We are absolutely certain of the things that we're not doing well, the things that we wish we were doing better, the things that, that we don't have a handle on. I absolutely promise you, we, we know what's happening. We need some cheerleaders here. Criticism can crush this place. I love what Paul models for us. He's always thankful. He's, he's not critical. He's he's not pointing out all of the problems. He's not shooting down all of these, these issues that are happening. He, he's thankful. He's encouraging. He's pointing out the positives, the, the things that they have, not the things that they're lacking. Four things need to happen if we want to stay together. Always be thankful, never be critical, and we need to focus on the eternal Look at verses seven and eight. Paul says that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the eternal. That we are waiting for the revealing of Jesus to show up in this place. That, that we are waiting because he's the one who's going to announce us guiltless in the day of our Lord. He is the one and it says that God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So a while back, I was, I was talking to somebody here in Avon. They, they work and live here in Avon, and I was telling them about harvest. I was telling them we're right behind Gander Mountain and, and when our services are, and I was, I was just laying out there just looking for an open door, an opportunity to invite them here on Sundays. And I'm telling them all about this church and what God is doing and just how God is moving, and we were just getting ready for an Easter service, and we were planning it, and it was going to be amazing, and we were going to be celebrating and lifting high the name of Jesus, and I was telling this person all about what God is doing here at Harvest, and they seemed kind of interested. Well, here at the end, they had, they had one question. Uh, the lady looks at me, and she, she asks me, well, does your church have any fish fries? because my husband really likes fish fries. And I said, no, we don't have any fish fries. But we're shooting a confetti cannon off at Easter. Does your husband like confetti cannons? <laughs> Listen, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And there are so many churches where it so easily becomes busy and distracted with not the main thing. And listen, we have so much to offer the world around us, so much more than fish sticks to offer the west side of Indianapolis. 
We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are waiting for the revealing of him, for Jesus to show up in this place. And when God is showing up and his spirit is moving in here in this place and lives are being transformed and, and dead people are becoming alive, that's a big deal. That's the main thing. We've got to focus on the eternal. We can't become distracted and settle for something that's so, so far less. The main thing, the main thing. Look at verse seven, that we are waiting. Church, we are waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who will sustain us to the end. He's the one who will declare us guiltless before the Father. We've got to focus on the main thing. We need to focus on the eternal. And this is it, verse nine. God is faithful, isn't he? God is faithful. By whom you were called into fellowship, that's the main thing, the fellowship, the relationship with Jesus, the relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. See, Paul's not calling them out he could. Paul's not calling them out in their problems. He's calling them up to realize their inheritance and their identity in Christ. See, practically, the Corinthians, they are a train wreck of problems, but positionally, they're believers. Positionally, they are saved by grace through faith because that's a gift of God given to us so that no one can boast. And this means they are not sanctified on the basis of what they have done. They're sanctified on the basis of what Jesus has already done for them. That's not gonna change. And even though they're a train wreck, Paul is calling them up to realize their identity of who they are, not, not what they've done, but who they belong to, their inheritance in Christ. Man, this so applies to us. That if your life doesn't look pretty right now, that if you have a, a, a story of a past loaded with problems, it's not about you. See, the ground is level at the cross. Jesus wants to call you into a relationship with him. It's not on the basis of what you've done. Your identity is not defined in the actions of what you've done. It's defined only by who you belong to. If the blood of Jesus has covered you, if his righteousness has set you apart, you are his. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians chapter six, I love this. Verses nine and 11 says, do you not know do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And get ready, he gives us a list. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. No, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He's telling this to the Corinthians. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is a people with problems, a train wreck of a past. It doesn't matter. 
Your actions don't define you. Your past sin doesn't define you, but you have been sanctified. Jesus has called you into a fellowship with him. That's what matters. That's the main thing. We have to focus on the main thing. And just as we started this series where, where God has ordained relationships and, God, and, and sin has broken relationships, but God has, has called us into relationship. Listen, he hasn't left us where we were, and such were some of you. He hasn't left you there. He is calling you into a fellowship, into a relationship with him, and the more broken you are, the more beautiful your story is gonna be, and give God the glory See, there's nothing. It's not marriage, it's not parenting, it's not work, it's not school. There's nothing more important right now than the eternal. Nothing. And it's this fellowship with Jesus, the one who will sustain us to the end because God is faithful, the one who will announce us guiltless. We don't deserve that. That's the point guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. We can't be distracted. We can't settle for anything less. The last thing, the last thing that we need if we want to stay together as a vertical church, if we want to stay together as a faith family is indivisible. Not invisible, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, right? Indivisible means not divided, unified. It means one part, one piece, one unit, one body working together in harmony. Indivisible. Verse 10, Paul says, I appeal. He's not accusing. He's not threatening. He's not even demanding. This isn't a command. He says, I appeal. He's he's asking, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and let there be no divisions, indivisible, no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. A few years ago, my wife and I went down to visit my brother-in-law. He was a med student in Virginia. It's spring break. It's a Saturday morning. The campus is just empty. It's dead. And so my brother-in-law, he's a med student, and he, he turns to me and he asks me, hey, hey, do you want to go up to the cadaver lab? <laughs> if somebody ever asks you that question, you need to think very, very carefully about your response. That's really not my thing but I'm all about first-time experiences, so I say, yeah. So we gown up, glove up, glasses on. We go into this room. There are 20 tables, stainless steel tables in the room. You know what that means? It really was really cool. <laughs> my brother-in-law, it really wasn't bad. It's not my thing, but, but he's showing me all of these things, and we're walking around. We've got the room to ourselves, and it's just Fascinating. I mean, this is blowing my mind what we're doing. I was good until we went to the back of the room and there were these like metal shelf racks with all kinds of boxes and, and tubs and big glass jars. See, it doesn't take a doctor to realize when the human body is not completely together, 
When the human body is not in one piece, that's a problem. Same for us as a church, right? That if we are not completely unified together, one body working in harmony, united, indivisible, that is a gross and tragic problem. Church, we've got to stay together. We've got to stay united together. The worst decision of that day was afterwards going to this hole-in-the-wall barbecue place. (laughs) I couldn't eat brisket for a year. (laughs) Church, we've got to stay together. Indivisible. I love how Pastor Rob ended last week. He asked us just to be thinking, to be considering about taking one step. Did you? One step. Something tangible, something actionable, something practical. One step. What are you going to do to take one step? I want to close with, with that this morning, and I want for us to stand up together. And I want for us to be thinking, what is one thing in your life right now that you need to take a step forward in faith, trusting that Jesus Christ is going to meet you in that step? He's not going to leave you. He has called you into fellowship with him. That Jesus has called you into relationship with him. And it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your problems of today. He is calling you into fellowship, into relationship with him. Maybe right now you need to start shuffling your feet because you feel the spirit is working. God is calling you into relationship. That's the main thing. Nothing is more important than that. Maybe you need to be thinking about what is one step that I can take forward this week with with my family. Always encouraging, always thankful, never critical. That we need to focus in on the eternal. That we need to be united. Nothing's gonna tear this family apart. Nothing's gonna keep this family from being together. We're gonna be operating as one unit in harmony. There's too many fights, too many complaints, too much division. It's not gonna happen. What is one thing that you can take a step forward this week? We've got a lot of young pastors here. Maybe it's encourage them. Maybe it's commit to to praying for the elders and the unity, the leadership of this church. Maybe for you, life's just hard. I mean, you're just tired. You're working two jobs like Paul was. Maybe the rug has been pulled out from under your feet and you don't know which way is up. I love the vision that Paul had. It's the same for us. Don't be afraid. Stay put. You're not alone. Jesus is going to be with you. Hey, what is one thing this morning that you can do to take a step forward in your faith, trusting that Jesus is going to meet you? God is going to walk alongside of you. You're not alone. Church, we'd like nothing more than the end of this service. If you want to walk on up and pray with someone, pray with someone you came for, that's the main thing. That's the eternal thing. Don't settle for anything less than that. Let's pray.
Lord, sometimes we don't see what's happening around us and we don't, we don't understand, God, the bigger picture of what you are doing. Lord, but we trust. Lord Jesus, we have faith. Lord, let us not be afraid. Let us, let us be compelled. Let us be convicted. Let us trust and know with confidence and clarity that, God, that you are doing a work. Jesus, that you are the one who's building this church, that we are not alone. God, that you're gonna meet us where we're at, that you are calling us into relationship with you even right now. Let us not miss this opportunity. God is the only thing that matters. Lord, we love this church, and Jesus, you love this church. So we always give you thanks for what you're doing. God, thank you. Thank you. We love you. Praise in your name. Amen.